Hey everyone, welcome to this month's edition of the Intentional Ministry Podcast, where we tackle leadership, ministry, and financial issues that are related to the local church. This month, we're looking at the topic of missions, and I'm joined by my guest, R.D. Saunders. R.D. is the Director of Advancement for the John Maxwell Leadership Foundation and Equip. He has uh, worked in missions for most of his life, as well as being a local pastor. And today you're going to get some significant insights about the importance of missions, why you need to be involved in missions, and why, why your church needs to be involved in missions. And I hope today you'll gain some insight and some encouragement about how you can better meet the needs of missionaries around the world and help spread the gospel. I'm excited today to have my friend Artie Saunders as our guest. Artie is the Director of Advancement for Equip and the John Maxwell Leadership Foundation. And you see I'm representing today, uh, if you happen to be watching this. Uh, Artie, it is so good to have you. How are you doing, my friend? Man, I'm so good, Stephen. It is so good to be with you and uh, all of your friends, all the folks that watch this. Love you and Barbara and your church and family. and Just honored to be a part of this podcast. Well, we're excited to uh, be able to share with you today. So give me a little bit about your history in ministry. Today, we're going to spend some time talking specifically about missions, but give us a little bit of background on R.D.'s history in ministry. Well, I felt a very clear call from the Lord to go into full-time Christian ministry when I was a senior in high school. And uh, as it turned out, I... I, um, felt very clearly led to attend a small Bible college in central Ohio. And I often make the joke that that college has two famous graduates. One of them is me and the other is John Maxwell. (laughs) Of course, (laughs) it's the joke. You know, we have one famous graduate and that's John Maxwell. And, uh, and it really began a, a relationship with John being, being in the school he attended. Now, I, I have to be very clear. We did not attend at the same time. I have some people are thinking, you know, that, <laughs> that, that, uh, John and I, you know, John is 76 and that we attended school together, but we did not. But, uh, there I met my wife and, uh, you know, as they say, our college is like a shoe factory. We bring in heels, mend their soles and send them out in pairs. <laughs> and that certainly was true of Shelly and I. And, uh, at that point, when I graduated 1987, I went into full-time pastoral ministry. Um, I was a youth pastor and then I became a church planter and then a lead pastor and basically spent 22 years in pastoral ministry before a very clear calling to go into the missions world or charity world in uh, 2009. So I often say I, I pastored for 22 years and lived to tell about it. And uh, so, so grateful though, still love the local church, believe in the local church, uh, work all the time with great pastors like yourself, Pastor Stephen, and, and others around, not just the country, but around the world. So um, certainly am a believer. I'm actually preaching uh, these Sundays right now for a church in transition, looking for a pastor and needed someone to fill in. So I do speak uh, quite often. And uh, once again, love, love the local church and certainly believe in it and believe in people like yourself who've given their life to it and are leading so well, Stephen. Super. So what 
Drew, you obviously you had a connection with with John Maxwell and uh, Equip and the John Maxwell Leadership Foundation or his founding. What specifically drew you in that direction to that organization? You know, I have to say that uh, I had been a part of the organization as a volunteer for years. I believe you were too, Stephen, in in, in a role that we called an associate trainer back in the day and had the opportunity as a volunteer to go and teach John's content around the world and and just fell in love with Equip and the heart of Equip and, and certainly fell in love with John's content. It had already revolutionized my life in many ways. So I was honored to be able to help others. But um, I would say that apart from a very clear direction from the Lord, I was inspired by the mission. Uh, I was inspired by the desire to help people maximize their lives. See, when you grow as a leader, you multiply yourself, you give yourself a whole new life because you're able to do so much more than you were doing before when you were relying solely on yourself. And it was never intended to be that kind of plan. You know, in Exodus 17 and 18, we read about the day that Moses became a leader and his father-in-law came to him and said, what is this? You're doing all the work. What, what are you thinking? And he challenged him to become a leader. And so that call that was given to someone as great as Moses. If Moses needed to grow as a leader, then I needed to grow as a leader and others need to grow as a leader. And then of course, Luke 2.52, one of the the great four point sermons in the history of the world about personal growth, that Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God and favor with man. And in leadership growth, I see a couple of areas there that are mentioned. I, I think that stature, you know, the wasn't that that Jesus grew physically is that he grew in his confidence, in his bearing, in his maturity. Jesus grew in that way. And then we read that he grew in favor with man. And that's certainly a, an understanding of leadership, its influence. And if Jesus needed to grow in that area, and if Moses needed to grow in that area, then I certainly need to, and the whole world needs to. And so I, I was moved by that, by that mission that I first found as an associate trainer. But then as I began to understand the organization better, I saw that it had become a full-blown passion to see people's lives transformed, not just see them grow as leaders, but see them become followers of Christ to see that their family and their marriage and their parenting and every element of their life just take off and thrive because of growing as a leader and becoming someone who had been transformed because of that process. So uh, it certainly moved me. I was moved by the mission and that's what drew me in. In addition, John, who wouldn't want to be a part of anything John Maxwell is doing because he's always going to do it big and he's going to do it well and it's going to be meaningful. And frankly, it's going to be fun. I would agree with that. Yeah. So right now, what are some things that are that you guys are working on that are important initiatives um, that are helping transform leaders, uh, transform the world, bring people to Christ? We basically have three big emphases and uh, they're all about transformation, but they're in what I would call three arenas. There is the arena of spiritual transformation, and that's the one where we're seeing people 
one to Christ, seeing their lives transform, seeing them give their lives to Christ and become a follower of Christ, spiritual transformation. The second one is what we would call student transformation. And this is where we're working with the public schools of America and in the public schools in countries around the world. Uh, right now, that grand total would be somewhere close to 4 million kids around the world are being impacted by what we're doing and uh, seeing their lives changed. And, and the work that's happening in the United States is simply unbelievable. And uh, you understand, you know, this is not a, a spiritual element, but it does have faith-based overtones in it. And much of the content is derived from an understanding of, of scriptures, but it, it is not a faith-based program, but it is having an impact that almost seems faith-based in the lives of so many kids, transforming entire schools. And it's going all across the country. And it's one of the most exciting things we're working on right now. So uh, spiritual transformation, student transformation. And then the last one, I would just simply to keep the alliteration going to prove to everyone that I was a pastor, you know, because <laughs> pastors That's important, right? You know, yes. it's, it's in there with, you know, preach the word and alliterate, you know, uh, societal transformation. So spiritual, student, and societal transformation. And uh, societal transformation is simply what we do in governments, in countries, and communities in the United States. So in governments such as Guatemala and Paraguay and Costa Rica, and, and Stephen, you've been on some of those trips with us where we went into those countries at the invitation of a president to bring a program of transformation to the people of their country. And uh, we've been able to add to not just Guatemala, Costa Rica, Paraguay, but the Dominican Republic, Panama, and uh, little, the little tiny country of Papua New Guinea down north and east of Australia. And uh, then we have a, a kind of a form of transformation that's, that we see in these countries in the United States that functions in communities. Uh, countries that are large like the United States are really too big to take on in mass. Uh, smaller countries, Guatemala and Costa Rica, et cetera, we can take on the whole country, but a country that's, uh, you know, more than 300 million people is, is really too large to take on as a country. And, but we can work in communities in the United States. So across the country in various communities, this is functioning. And everything that happens in these three arenas, the students, the spiritual and the societal transformation happens at a round table where people are learning values based on John Maxwell's content. And being in a round table is a very powerful tool that allows people to grow. It's much like small groups that we see in, in the church world. And you get people sharing and talking about how they need to grow. And it's amazing how quickly and easily they do start to grow or what we would call they transform. We identify transformation as powerful, positive change. And that's what we're seeing as a result of these three arenas of transformation. And on the spiritual transformation side, recently you guys reached a, a milestone. Um, Boy, it, we sure did, Stephen. I think you and Barbara were able to celebrate this with us. Yes. It was an unforgettable moment where we eclipsed the 1 million souls mark one to the Lord as a result of our work. And we just began counting this work about six years ago. And so um, in, in six years, we've seen um, a million souls come to the Lord. 
And I always want to point out that this is not um, guessing or extrapolating to come up with this number. We know every one of these folks uh, because they were in a roundtable with us. Uh, the, the approach that is, happens on spiritual transformation through a program called Beyond Success happens at a roundtable where people who are not followers of Christ are invited to a roundtable where they're going to learn personal growth from John Maxwell, the leading advocate on personal growth and leadership in the world today. And as a result of that, they come and they experience and learn so many things about God that are so many things about themselves that it, it tends to open their heart to considering things about God. And so after about four or five lessons, we offer a special bonus lesson where it's announced that that John is going to share his faith. We let them know they don't need to come if they don't want to. But at this point, they're completely bought in because it's already had an impact on their life that they've seen as positive. And so they say yes to that. And um, and I think right now we have about the same attendance for that voluntary faith lesson as we do for any lesson. And um, then John shares a very simple message where he talks about uh, pictures of God that are incorrect because he believes by and large, everyone wants to know God. They just have a wrong picture of him. And then of course the right picture is from revelation three twenty. behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I'll come in. And that's the right picture that the picture of a door. And, uh, so right now about 62% of the people who hear this message in these round tables wow. come to Christ. Uh, we're seeing a new believer every 45 seconds and uh, we're challenging these new believers to then grow in their faith through some work that we do in their life, but then to start their own roundtable. And when they start their own roundtable, I mean, they know lost people better than we do. They invite lost people to come to this. And, and that's how we're seeing such multiplication. Our first year, we saw 15,000. Uh, now we see almost 15,000 a week come to Christ. Wow. So it's uh, it's growing. We think by this time next year, we'll be close to another million souls, maybe reaching a million uh, by the end of 2025. So what took us five years to do before we might be able to pull off in a year and a half Wow! now? That's incredible. On the uh, student transformation piece, um, I had an opportunity to spend some time with uh, Molly Spearman, who's the ambassador for you guys for that program. And um, I'm excited because it it appears that um, a principal that attends our church is going to be a pilot program for her here in North Carolina. Nice. And um, they they connected a couple of weeks ago. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm excited that they are going to um, they're, they're working out the details to take it on. Um, but that's a fantastic thing for us to be a part of on this side to see student transformation. Oh, we love that. And, and Molly is wonderful. She is from South Carolina. Uh, hopefully all the folks that, you know, North Carolina are not not bothered by that fact, you know, that she's from <laughs> down there in that other state. But um, what a wonderful lady um, uh, was the secretary of uh, the, the all the schools and elected position at the state level in um in South Carolina was the very first person who was a government official in the education system who came to us and said, we want to lead the way and implementing this program. And now the entire state of South Carolina, every public school is utilizing this, this program we call I lead. 
And uh, teachers tell us that in three weeks, you can see a dramatic change in the kids after going through this program. It's not an after school program. It's not a voluntary one. All the kids are asked to go through it. And the teachers, frankly, are, are desperate for this kind of thing. They're, they're telling us, oh, we need this so much. In fact, many teachers themselves have said it's helped them. It's wow. helped them grow in some ways. Uh, parents say that they seen such a difference in their kids. They want to know how they can go through the program. Uh, one school reported a 17% decline in disciplinary issues in their school as a result of going through this program. Uh, another school had a student that uh, was, he was the reason all the teachers in the school had to go through a special training on how to deal with a kid that's trying to hit you and how to hold that child so they don't hurt themselves or you. And then this kid goes through this program and all the other kids would roll their eyes when they saw him walk into the room because he was such a problem and they couldn't figure out why he acted like he did and why he dressed like he did and frankly why he smelled like he did. And uh, as he gets in this program, he begins to tell them about how that his mother had overdosed on drugs. His dad during COVID had walked out in front of a bus and killed himself. And this kid had been passed around from foster home to foster home and different family members. And he was just a mess. He starts going through, I lead. And that kid totally transforms. Wow. He is now a leader in that school of training other kids on how to facilitate the roundtables, because this is one of the distinctions. This is not a teacher-led program. It is a student-led program, with the idea being that if a kid is going to become a leader, they've got to practice leadership. And when you take turns leading a roundtable lesson, it allows you to, to kind of stretch your wings a little bit as a leader and learn what leadership is about. So we're super excited. Uh, we have, have heard word not just about North Carolina, but we've had inquiries from 44 of the 50 states across the nation. Uh, we're launching in Georgia, Alabama, Texas. We're very strongly positioned to be considered in Tennessee, Oklahoma. We've even had interest from California, uh, Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana. And so it is, it is spreading across the nation. And we are so excited about it. It's certainly something that we need we need prayer for because there's so much so many challenges. But but prayer is what opened the door to begin with, honestly. Yeah. And, and prayer is the thing that's going to keep the door open. We're doing our best to manage it. But the scale of it is pretty daunting because we literally want to have a teammate from every state in the union who is connected in the school system, who feels called to help kids in this way, and who could join our team and be an ambassador in the state like Molly is for the entire nation. Yeah, that's incredible. I, I, that is a program my wife and I both are extremely excited about. Um, we have grandkids, obviously, um, one in middle school, two that are closing in on middle school. And those are very um, difficult ages and in the culture we live in, some values-based learning. Um, 
in the school system is just an incredible opportunity. So yeah, and it's designed for for middle school students. It has been adapted for younger kids. It, it works with older kids. But but I, I might add, Stephen, that we acquired this year an organization known as Growing Leaders. Growing Leaders is an organization with John Maxwell's DNA. You might say, as Tim Elmore, their founder, has been a part of Equip and the Maxwell Leadership Foundation for years. But they have incredibly gifted content creators, and it is our plan to have content from diapers to diplomas for kids, wherever they may be in their journey, all the way up through university. We want to have content for them. And uh, it's really, really exciting to see with the aqua. I mean, we're this is how serious, I guess you could say we are. Uh, so serious that we acquired another organization to partner with us and to be able to offer content for kids of every age. So uh, you you work with local churches um, as a part of what you do. You pastored in a local church, but every church doesn't have an effective missions program. Um, what do you believe are some of the key elements for a church in in a missions program, local, globally? Um, how how should they approach it? And it, 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 let's start there. How, how should they approach missions? Well, I have to say, Stephen, that I think you know the things you've done at Open Door have been a great example for for what people need to do, what pastors need to do, because you've been involved. Uh, you haven't handed it off to someone else. You you haven't been disconnected from it. You've been leading the way from the beginning and and engaged with missions and, and pastors who who sort of palm it off on someone else and aren't themselves involved. And I'm not saying you don't have people that are staff members that help you with it. But but when when they're just doing it because it has to be done, not because they personally are involved in it or engaged in it. Well, guess what? It's not going to have the kind of emphasis that makes it something of interest to the church. My feeling is when a church is committed to missions and engaged with missions, that it creates greater blessings for the local church because they have practiced the discipline of being selfless as a church. Because a missions program doesn't necessarily benefit the local church in any way. You're sending money out, you're sending, spending time on it, you're focusing on it. And, and that might seem like in the normal way a business mind might function, that may seem like a, a, a missed focus or a lost focus on the local church and what it should do. But in reality, that focus is a focus on God because God is a God who he loves the whole world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. All folks are loved by God. And if we're going to be like him, then we're going to be missions oriented because he certainly was. Uh, when I was in college, I was taught that missions is when you cross two barriers. Jesus certainly crossed more than two barriers when he left heaven and came to earth as we're about to celebrate in this Christmas season. All of us have to understand that missions is, is, is exactly what Jesus did when he left heaven to come to earth. And so when we as a congregation and specifically we as pastors say, 
I personally am going to lead the way in getting our church focused on and raising money for missions, then it'll work a lot better. But as long as we hand it off to someone else and aren't personally engaged with it and don't get behind it and don't raise money for it, well, it's going to struggle. So in my mind, Daniel, the key for a missions program to succeed in a church is that there is engagement from the lead pastor and that there is emphasis on it on the platform, on the screens regularly to the congregation. And uh, however that might be done, there's so many creative ways. I've been around a, a, a denomination that I grew up in, and my goodness, they made missions so boring and uninteresting. I, I, I have no doubt that no one wanted to be a part of it, and everyone dreaded the emphasis on missions because it was poorly done. And the, the pastor clearly didn't really care about it. He just had some denominational responsibility to it, but, but it, it wasn't in his heart. And, and that's why coming on a trip with us, like you did, it, it got your fire lit and you got, you know, passionate about our work and open door and, and you and Barbara have personally gotten behind us and, and we're so grateful, but pastors, whatever you need to do, to light your personal fire for missions, I encourage you to do it. And then I encourage you to get our Generosity Accelerator, a program we just created from Pastor Rob Ketterling, who is the master at creating a Kingdom Builders program where your, your people who are financially maybe more well off or even just folks who might have more to give. They're not necessarily rich. They just have more to give where they can get involved and missions becomes the emphasis and the focus where kingdom builders, people who really care about God's kingdom and, and the mission of reaching the world can involve, get, can get involved in giving more and, and doing more in missions. Then you're going to have something that's going to capture people's imagination and get people excited and raise more resources. And goodness gracious, the more we send out, the more I think God sends in and the better off we are. Yeah, I've I've never seen a church that was missions minded uh, that had had that as a part of their uh, work, a significant part of their work that did not that that's I don't want to say they didn't struggle. Everybody has challenges, sure. uh, yeah. but th th there was a clear favor from God because they were trying to accomplish th yeah. what he had sent us to do. Sure. Well, you're caring about what God cares about. And when you do that, then it just seems like I don't know that God loves people more than than, you know, I love this one more than that one. I don't think that's true, but I think he trusts them more when he realizes their heart is focused on what his heart is focused on. Right. So you used a, a terminology or a, a, um, a definition of missions is crossing two barriers. Can you give a couple of examples? So because I think there are things that are missions that people don't realize are missions and they could get buy-in if they just emphasized it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's just a, a barrier. The fact of the matter is every time you're trying to help someone come to Christ or help someone change their life, there's probably a barrier that you're crossing. It could just be a barrier of terminology or a barrier of their interest. But when I was studying missions, the, the barriers included language, distance, culture, um, financial capacity, things like their, their background, their, their struggles, their challenges. For example, 
if you go down and, and you do any kind of street ministry, you quickly encounter people that have had a very different life than what you and I've had, Stephen. You know, they, they're, they're, they've experienced things. Um, I had a, a close friend that had a battle with alcohol and he said, you know, I really feel bad about it because I get around these guys and I get why they drink. They've had so many heartaches and heartbreaks and losses, and they've had a dad that didn't love them and, and you know, a, a mother that, that walked out on them and all these things. He said, I didn't experience that. And for a lot of church folks, especially when you've been in the, in the kingdom for a long time and you've been living for the Lord and your family's come to the Lord and maybe your parents were people of faith, it, it's really tough, I think, for folks to imagine that someone across the street might be so different from you and to reach them, you're going to have to make a transition yourself. Think about Paul. He said, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. To me, what Paul's saying there is I've crossed some barriers. I've crossed some boundaries. I've done whatever I could because in the end, there is nothing that matters more than a human soul. On earth, there is nothing that matters more than a human soul. And uh, the only the only eternal things in this world that I know of are human souls and God's word. But God's word is not under threat. There is no potential of of stomping out God's word. But boy, there sure is a potential of a soul being eternally lost. And so I, I feel like that the church world has to adjust itself, especially the church world of today, that missions is what they do every Sunday, because we are in a strange land these days. And our calling is is there's missions in, in everything we do. We're crossing boundaries and barriers all the time. And the moment we refuse to stop, you know, refuse to to cross those barriers and stop crossing them is the moment we've become something other than the church. We've become something other than the ecclesia, the called out ones, the ones who mustered into service in the kingdom of God, recognizing there is a war, there is a battle, and God has called me to fight as a soldier in his army. And man, I, I cannot sit back. I cannot rest. This is war, and I'm one of his soldiers. I heard someone say one time, if uh, I'm a soldier in an army whose captain hung on a tree, why should I expect some easy life for me? Hmm. And I think it's so easy for us Christians to just slide into an easy life where we're relaxing and, and we're just totally oblivious to the fact that there's a war going on around us and God is engaged in it and he expects us to be too. And so missions for a church is a whole lot more to me than just something we do every quarter where we emphasize what's happening in, you know, Papua New Guinea. It's, it's what we do every Sunday. It's what we do every day as a church. And God has called us out to reach those folks and serve him in this army. That's great. So are there some specific elements that a church should include in their missions program? So, uh, for example, Chris Hodges has some specific places that their money goes, yeah. you know, next generation, local missions, yeah. world missions. Um, are there some things that uh, you believe every church's missions program should include? Uh, and how would how, how do they go about that? Yeah, I would call these buckets, um, you know, that you you want to put put money in or resources in. 
And uh, I certainly think that children are, are something the Lord cares about. Jesus said, you know, that we should be very engaged in bringing children to him. And so any kind of children's ministry, that's why we're so proud of our relationship with One Hope and the great things that organization does. Uh, obviously, our organization is heavily committed to, to helping kids. So I think we, you know, every it's, it's the classic illustration of the you can either have a fence at the top of the mountain or a hospital at the bottom of one. And I think when we help kids, we're putting a fence at the top of the mountain. It's much easier to help a kid than fix an adult. So um, I, I think it's just wise and, and good stewardship to help kids. Uh, obviously, there's nothing that, that we should be more committed to than, than reaching people for Christ. And whether it is equip and our evangelistic ministry reaching a new believer every 45 seconds or the incredible folks uh, at, at uh, the, the Jesus film or, or that kind of ministry or Campus Crusade or whoever it might be, that's being effective in reaching people for Christ. I think it would be wise for a church to put their money there. I often think of that passage in Romans that, that basically implies that whoever helps an evangelist receives an evangelist reward. Uh, it seems to me if we're going to help evangelists, then, then God is going to help us. And, and why wouldn't we do that? The Bible has called us to do it. I think we should take every advantage of the wise words the, the Bible gives us. And in this case, I, I think it would be wise to, help anyone in evangelism. Uh, obviously, I, I think that there's a real need for church planning, it, but but to me, it makes no sense to plant churches if we haven't done the work on evangelism first. Uh, we need to plant churches that are not somehow getting folks from other churches. That's just exchanging fish in the fishbowl from one bowl to another. We need to be planning churches in partnership with people who are reaching people for Christ. So I, I really believe in church planning. I think that's exactly what we see the Apostle Paul doing in his ministry and and other other members of the early church were heavily engaged in planning churches. So to me, if if you did those things and then probably some local missions where you're involved in doing things uh, to help. By the way, I, I mean, you start handing out money to homeless folks and there'll be a line next week out the door of the church. So I've never been a firm believer in churches actually doing that because they really have no way to process and understand who legitimately needs the money and who just had a really good story. And uh, I mean, Jesus said the poor you'll always have with you. But he also, in my mind, implied that you want to be wise on how you deal with that, because it could be very easy for a church to miss their mission. The mission of the church is not to take care of the poor. The mission of the church is to rescue the perishing, to reach people for Christ. It was Christ's last words. It is our first assignment. And I've heard guys, I, I remember the very first church I was a part of as a youth pastor, and I heard this guy say something, and I was so young and foolish, I didn't know what to say. But he said he wasn't going to be for anything our church did until every kid in town went to bed with a full stomach. And what I would have said had I been sitting there now and this person said that, I would have said, I, I love what you're saying. I think it's very important. And yet it is not what God himself called us to do. And as far as I'm concerned, 
What we need to be listening to is what God has called us as the church to do. And that is our number one mission is to reach people for Christ. That's why we're here. It's what Jesus died for. It was his last words. It should be our first concern. And uh, but I, I believe the enemy can distract us sometimes from some of these things, from what our real mission is reaching people for Christ. We fix their souls. It's amazing how how much easier it is to fix their stomachs. Yeah. And that's why I think a missions program needs to emphasize evangelism. Good. That's awesome. My, I used to hear my dad say uh, evangelism is one of the very few things that we won't be able to do in eternity. Um, and so we have to do it now. Oh, um, man. I, I love your dad for a lot of reasons, Stephen. One of them is that you're here, but that's a great, great comment. Yeah. So um, as we as we wind down today, uh, we, we talked about churches. Uh, there, there are lots of individuals who, who listen to this and, and we, we believe in generosity. You know, we teach generosity, but if somebody, if somebody is saying, you know, I would like to be more involved, how do I personally begin to uh, the process of um, creating margin or, 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 or moving my heart toward being generous toward missions, what would you tell that person? That's a great question, Stephen. By the way, folks, let's not let what we can't do keep us from what we can do. Uh, I've heard folks talk about, you know, when I get wealthy, I'll be generous. Oh, no, you won't. If you're not doing it now, you're not going to do it then. So word to the wise, anyone who says that it's a delaying tactic, they probably won't ever be wealthy anyway. And so they're keeping themselves from God's best with that, that mindset. Giving is not something wealthy people do. In fact, it's not even necessarily generous if you can afford to do it. It's generous maybe when you can't afford to do it or when you have to give up something to do it. That's generosity. I mean, when you can afford to do something, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't matter. Well, that, how is that even really being generous? You know, when, when it's easy. Uh, generosity is something that usually is challenging when you when you give out of out of your own need, not your own plenty. So but the way I would begin is I think that the, the key with generosity begins with feeling something for the work that you're giving to. So as I mentioned, Stephen, you and Barbara came with us on a trip and you saw the work that we're doing and you got to be involved in it. And 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 that moved you, that spoke to you, that that gripped your heart. And I think for a lot of people, all they're doing is calculating. All they're doing is they're getting out and say, OK, uh, I have this much. I can give this much. What I think the Bible means when it says, don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. The Bible is really saying there is that you shouldn't give in a way that calculates. You should give in a way that feels, listens to the Lord and responds obediently, whatever the, the calculation may be. And so I'm not, I'm not recommending foolishness. I'm, I'm just saying that the, the process of giving might have a lot more to do with our hearts than our heads. And it has to do also with our eyes, what we see with our ears, what we hear with our hands, what we touch, what we engage with, the more we can do that. For example, I, I know not everyone is moved by the same things. I realize that I, I work with people all the time. My job is fundraising and I'll talk to folks. And it's funny. In, in one household, I have a man who absolutely loves what we're doing and reaching people for Christ. His wife 
is no more interested than that than than if she'd never heard about it. But she loves what we're doing for kids. And so whenever they give, he tells me half of this is for what you're doing for souls. And the other half is what you're doing for kids. Because I couldn't go home to my wife if I made it all what I wanted it to be. Well, okay. I think that there are different appetites, just like you know, people like different kinds of candy bars. You know, you walk out and you see all these candy bars. Why is that? Because some people like nuts and some people don't. Um, and Joy's got nuts and Mounds right. don't. People like different things. And and I think it's it's part of God's leading to follow your mission's passion. And so if God has given you a passion for kids, then you need to pursue that. If God has given you a passion for the homeless, then you need to follow that and, and really in, engage, study it, learn about it, watch it, and then start acting. Do something, not even necessarily something that you've, you've put a lot of thought into. In fact, it might be more cool and more godly to only just go with what you feel God's leading you and just start giving and watch and see how God responds to you. See, when you act, God acts, but God does not act until you do. The water did not part until they stepped their foot in it when they crossed over into the promised land. And, and so often that's how God works. So don't wait somehow till, you know, the person who says I'm going to do something when I feel like it, does considerably less than the person who does something and then feels like it later. So I want to encourage you, just start somewhere. Don't let what you can't do keep you from what you can do. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Listen, this has been incredibly awesome. Uh, You have... um You've really spoken to us about the challenge of missions and the work that you're doing and how we can be more involved. Are there any last things you would like to share with people before we wind down today? Well, if you're someone that spends time with Stephen Mizell, you're someone that admires wisdom and character. And so I would say to the audience, you've tuned into to a good place with uh, with Stephen. I've been able to spend time with he and Barbara and I've gotten to know them and my wife and I love and respect them greatly. Uh, I really think that the whole process of growing yourself and spending time listening to podcasts is great, not just because of the the, the knowledge you're going to get, but man, when you're around someone like Stephen or whoever else might be one of his guests, you're going to become more like the great people they are. So I encourage you to continue to do this. I encourage you to engage with us at Equip and the Maxwell Leadership Foundation. Our website is www.iequip.org, and you can find out what we're doing and be involved. The Maxwell Leadership Foundation is simply maxwellleadership.org, and we'd love to have your your interest. And if you have questions, you can contact us there. There's information um, available there and, and links that you can hit to access contacting us and getting information. But uh, I would greatly appreciate, uh, Stephen, the, the prayers of your audience. We are we are fighting the devil tooth and nail to reach people for Christ and help kids. It is a huge battle right now. And uh, I'm I'm very encouraged. I think we're we've got a real shot at getting a million by this time next year. And then our goal is to see a million a year. Wow. So I would greatly appreciate the prayers of your audience for that, for our year end campaign. We're in the middle of that right now and very much need resources. It's, it's really that, that, you know, John says all the time that the, the speed of the income determines the speed of the vision. 
And for your churches, the speed of the income of your ability to raise money will determine the speed of the vision of your church becoming a reality. So yeah. be mindful of that and pray the money in, work the money in, demonstrate the money in, show everyone what you're doing, talk the money in, get people involved and the money will come in and God will bless you as you do it. If there's any way I can serve you, it would be my pleasure to every church in your audience. If there's any way I personally can serve you, it would be my pleasure. That's wonderful. Well, Artie, it's been a pleasure to be able to spend some time with you today. And for everyone listening, I hope you'll be back with us again next month as we continue this intentional ministry conversation and look at church and leadership insights. We look forward to talking to you again. So I hope you gained some insights into missions today. I hope it made you think about the importance of missions in the local church and around the world. I hope it'll challenge you to think about some ways that you can be more involved and understand that giving in the local church makes a difference in so many parts of the world. I hope you'll take it to heart. Apply some of these principles, put them to use in your church, and let's all minister to the world for Jesus Christ.